Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for March 6, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be diving into a bunch of news, including a Keanu Reeves superhero film, more details on the scripting process for the Star Wars sequels, Black Panther breaks even more box office records, a reaction to Netflix Lost in Space trailer, MoviePass is stalking all of us, Aladdin hires some songwriters, and Avengers Infinity War scares off some more competition. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta and joining me on today's podcast, Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, let's let's just get right into it. Uh, this is a story from a couple of days ago that I've had on the dock, but we've just kind of run out of time and haven't been able to cover it. But it's something I wanted to talk about on the podcast, and that is that Keanu Reeves is in talks to star in a superhero movie from for uh, Netflix. Chris, you're at the sub for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so Rick Famuyiwa, who was going to direct The Flash for a while before he left um, due to creative differences, now has another superhero movie lined up and it's for netflix it's called past midnight and we don't really know a lot about it we just know it's about a superhero vigilante and we also know that keanu reeves is in talk to in talks to star and that would be just another big get for netflix i mean you know they already have had a will smith movie and now they're gonna maybe have a keanu reeves movie next too yeah, I, I loved uh, Rick's uh, film Dope and uh, Keanu Reeves in a superhero film uh, is something I think we all need in our life. So, I, um, Ben, do you have any feelings about this? I love Keanu Reeves. I'm not as big of a fan of Dope as everyone seems to be. I, I saw that movie uh, after it came out um, right after that year. I, what was that, 2015 when it played at Sundance? Um, and I, I just thought it was like, I was like, oh, okay, this guy's got some potential. It's fine. But I, I wasn't really raving about it like everybody else was. But I do think um, he's a guy who would do well in that uh, genre, in that particular um, you know style. He, he definitely has a lot of energy and, and kineticism to his uh, dynamic filmmaking style. So I'm excited to see what he does uh, with a Keanu team up for sure. 
Um, okay, so for a long time we've been talking about Star Wars in the process of making these Star Wars sequels that Disney is doing. Um, you know, we've kind of come to the conclusion, I, I think even Ryan Johnson admitted on the Slash Filmcast, our other podcast, uh, that basically there is no plan for the the Star Wars trilogy that Disney is currently making um and we know that you know he's said for a long time that like what he did with the last Jedi is what he wanted to do you know he didn't have an outline given to him or anything like that uh but now a new interview with Daisy Ridley seems to uh I don't know to, to tell us that there was a plan by JJ Abrams that JJ Abrams had outlined the uh, the two sequels to Force Awakens, uh, HD. What do we know? Yeah, so there might not be a plan now, but there once was a plan, uh, sort of roughly, according to J.J. Abrams, because Daisy Ridley revealed that uh, when Abrams sat down to write the script for Force Awakens, he also wrote rough drafts for Episode Eight and Episode Nine. Uh, the draft for Episode Eight was what Ryan Johnson ended up scrapping to write what now is Last Jedi. So. It seems like it was something that Lucasfilm was on board with, but it wasn't like an official plan for the Star Wars trilogy in general. And Daisy Ridley emphasizes that the movies are on a director-by-director basis and that Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm are still sort of giving the director more creative freedom than you would sort of anticipate in a huge franchise like Star Wars. But yeah, it's kind of um, interesting that that was a original sort of sort of what happened because now J.J. Abrams is back on for episode nine. So maybe does that mean Lucasfilm is thinking about going back to whatever original plan that is? Or maybe it's just J.J. Abrams bringing back another sort of having another go at it with regardless of what are, whatever his original scripts were. Well, it's also interesting because, you know, much of what J.J. Abrams, I think, set up with Force Awakens was kind of like scrapped by Ryan Johnson. You know, Snoke, uh, Maz Kanata, Luke's saber, uh, Kylo's helmet destroyed, uh, Ray's parents. Uh, you know, um, it's also interesting that, uh, you know, I, I feel like one of these days, you know, 10 years down the line, I want to... I know that we're probably never going to get George Lucas's treatment for the Star Wars sequels that uh, has been talked about. But I would also like to see, you know, what did J.J. Abrams originally have planned for those sequels? If, in fact, there was a treatment. Uh, We should also mention that, you know, this was an interview published by a French magazine and uh, Ridley's comments were translated by someone who speaks French, but, uh, you know, not a computer. But uh, it could very well be uh, one of two things. It could be, you know, that it has been translated uh, to mean something it does not mean. And it could also it could also be that Daisy Ridley does not know what she's talking about. But uh, it, it's it's really weird because I this is the first I'm hearing of J.J. Abrams having scripted, you know, two treatments for Star Wars sequels. Uh you know, obviously, you know, J- uh, Ryan Judge is going so far off the path of what J.J. had planned. Uh, I'm not sure if you can you can and, and obviously Carrie Fisher's death. I'm not sure you can go back to that plan that he originally had. But, Chris, wh- what do you think? Do you think uh, he, Ryan, uh, do you think J.J. Abrams can salvage any of the ideas he had from his original plan? I mean, it's hard to say without knowing what they are. I'm sure there are some ideas he can salvage. Um, Like you, I would be curious to see them one day. Maybe, you know, further down the line, they can 
spin them off into like a comic book or something. I you know that, that's always a possibility. I, I'd love to see that, but yeah, without really knowing what his full plans were, I can't say for certain. But I'm sure, I'm sure he has something worked out by now. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> Uh, J.W. Rinsler, who wrote those uh, spectacular making of Star Wars books. Uh, Chris, I'm sure you have those, right? Uh, yeah, I have one of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're just like some of the best filmmaking books out there. And uh, he did a book for the with another author on the making of Force Awakens. It got pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And now it's completely off you know, the Lucasfilm publishing schedule, a lot of people are speculating it's because, you know, it had a lot of information on the initial plans uh, from George Lucas and also, you know, J.J. Uh, Abrams' initial plans. So I'm wondering if we will finally get that after we get episode nine uh, from Disney, but we will have to see. Uh, but let's move on. To, uh, speaking of Disney, Black Panther has been a monster hit for uh, the Mouse House, and uh, it has broken a couple records. And now it's uh, it's entered the top ten highest grossing movies of all time. How crazy is that, Ben? You wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Yeah. So as of today, Black Panther is now the ninth highest grossing movie of all time at the United States box office. And that is pretty crazy. It has uh, five hundred and six point four million dollars. And the most insane part of this to me is that the movie has been in theaters for only 18 days so far. So, I mean, that is like wildly impressive. Um, it apparently is at number 47 on the global all times earning list. But that, you know, puts it behind movies like Avatar that have made you know multiple billions of dollars. And so it, it hasn't quite done that <laughs> that level of business in only 18 days. And I don't really think anybody expects Black Panther to overtake Avatar to become the new highest grossing movie ever. But uh, but where, where certain... like we, we probably have projections of this at this point, like where do we see this ending up? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I'm sure analysts have all sorts of uh, of different uh, anticipation spots for where that could be. But I think it's definitely going to uh, break the the number eight spot, which is Rogue One. And then some people say that it might even break uh, the Dark Knight, which is number seven on the list of uh, top 10 all time domestic box office uh, grossing uh, spots. Uh, that, that, ho- that can happen. Hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, HT, I know you were one of the people that was like eagerly awaiting Black Panther. If I had told mm. you before the film came out that Black Panther was going to break the Dark Knight's box office total, would you have believed me? Actually, I would have because I remember when the week before Black Panther was released, it was projected to beat most a large majority of Marvel movies that weren't ensemble films. And the fact that it's coming up onto Dark Knight is a huge achievement, but something I'm not really surprised about because it's just become a huge phenomenon and a big cultural zeitgeist. So, yeah, I, I'm not, it's, it's kind of it's a surprising, but it's not shocking. See, if you told me that, I would have been shocked. And uh, <laughs> but also, I'm I'm also bad at predictions, as evidenced by my Oscar pool, uh, you know, picks. So uh, yes, um, but let's move on to uh, Lost in Space. Netflix has released uh, the trailer for their new series based on uh, the original Lost in Space. Um, we, uh, Chris, you wrote this up for the site. Tell us about the show before we get into our reaction. 
Um, well, Lost in Space is obviously it's inspired by the the nineteen sixties series of the same name, which also got a uh, big screen remake in um, the nineties. Which it, uh, the movie was terrible. It starred Matt LeBlanc and. William Hurt and uh, a CGI monkey. It was not a good movie, but now it's getting a big, uh, expensive and surprisingly cool looking Netflix series. Um, you know, it has the same premise where it's a futuristic family. Their, their mission, their intergalactic mission gets sabotaged and they have to find their way back home. And it actually looks really cool. I, I'm, I'm actually very excited to see this. You know, I've never really seen the original. I know it's a beloved uh, sci-fi TV series. I, I have seen that movie and, you know, was so excited to see it in theaters and so disappointed uh, when I actually saw it. Uh, I didn't really have faith in this, but seeing this trailer, it really kind of looks like they're like, you know, let's take a modern day, uh, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams lost style take on this uh you know, sci-fi property, and it looks uh, very, very cool. Uh, I'm not sure about um, the robot or the kid actors, but uh, this is something I'm probably going to binge into on day one when it hits Netflix. Uh, Ben, what are your thoughts on this trailer? Uh, I have also never seen the original series, but unfortunately I did watch that movie from the 90s, and yes, it is definitely as terrible as everybody says. Um, I saw somebody say that this looks a lot like a Ridley Scott uh, version of Lost in Space, and I could not get that out of my head because everything from the visual aesthetic to like the costume design, it really does look like a Ridley Scott production. I mean, it looks like The Martian mixed with you know Prometheus and Alien Covenant, and it's really um, sort of remarkable that uh, a, I guess a property that I would have written off a few years ago as not really being something that people would be interested in managed to secure a budget and you know that that allowed it to look as impressive as it does right here so uh i'm sort of like chris i was like pleasantly surprised with how cool this thing looks ht what are your thoughts on this trailer yeah i had no uh close to no knowledge about Lost in Space going into this trailer. I never saw the 90s movie, even though it's kind of like my time. And uh, I didn't, didn't, hadn't seen the original 60s series either, but I was really impressed by the trailer. Um, everything that you guys said came to mind for me. And the production value looks great. It looks like it's a really great sort of children, like child-led story, which is something that I'm always down for. That sort of um, um, really good, like, childhood wonder sort of Steven Spielberg-y type of series. And uh, I kind of got sort of Treasure Planet, Robinson, Robinson Crusoe kind of vibe as well. I was looking up earlier if Lost in Space was, was at all inspired by Robinson Crusoe because just the Robinson name like made me remind me of that. But I don't think it was. But it has that sort of... Huh, I uh, never thought about stranded, that. Yeah, it has like that inter- interested stranded feeling but in space uh, feel. See, but you couldn't find any evidence of that now. Now that you've said that, that totally makes sense to me. Um, apparently, they owe their name to uh, the Swiss family Robinson, who were named ah. after Robinson Crusoe. But it's kind of a a, a distant relation. Ah. Well, very interesting. Anyways, you can check out the trailer for Lost in Space on SlashFilm.com. Uh, let's move on to MoviePass because, you know, we are the official podcast of MoviePass. We talk about MoviePass almost every day on this podcast. Um, you know, uh, we've been talking recently about their growth and how they are possibly evil. They could, you know, decide which movies 
subscribers can and can't see. Uh, now the CEO is proudly claiming that he is he is stalking you. He is tracking your every move. HD, what do we know? So this is, I'm going to quote exactly what CEO Mitch Lowe said. We know all about you. Uh, he said, <laughs> it doesn't sound a little ominous at all. He continued to say, we get an enormous amount of information. We watch how you drive from home to the movies. We watch where you go afterwards. So if that doesn't sound a little sinister, I don't know what does. Um, he said that at the Entertainment Finance Forum in Hollywood uh, this week, which was actually where he was speaking about um, the new uh, the subscriber projection for uh, 2019 that we reported on yesterday, as well as the announcement of of customer experience improvements, which is really interesting because I feel like this statement almost uh, nullifies the goodwill that they're starting to gain by improving their customer service experience. So it's it they there's location service that is um, incorporated into the app. It's when you log on to the app, you're required to check in using your GPS with uh, the app to buy the ticket. But in the privacy policy doesn't say anything about using this lo the location for anything other than verifying the specified theater where you intend to purchase the movie ticket. So after this uh, statement came out, MoviePass released another statement saying that they're only exploring location data, but they won't sell it. So this is another, this kind of follow-up to the reports that they were collecting user data with the intent of possibly selling it off later. So this was sort of uh, in contention because this is an issue of privacy as well as transparency. Yeah, it's, um, and that quote from that uh, from the CEO sounds like something like you know, if Zack Snyder was making a, a movie about a uh, tech. Uh, guy leading a tech company, and he was the villain. He was the Lex Luthor villain. That sounds like the quote he'd be giving on the news telecast in the in the you know opening scene of the movie. But um, yeah, we at the same time we weren't there, so maybe he was joking. <laughs> but at the same, t but it does feel a little strange to say in a keynote speech. Yeah, and uh, I I think um, the rules for MoviePass they updated a couple months ago, basically saying that uh, you actually have to see the movie that you check into and buy the ticket of. And we speculated at the time that they could use the MoviePass app to check your location throughout the screening of the movie or after the movie to see that you actually stayed there and watched the movie. Be uh, and we only assume that they're doing that that they included that language in in the rules because. People use their movie passes every day. Like, you know, I guess maybe someone that like lives near a movie theater, goes to a movie theater, gets a ticket and then sells it for cash in front of the movie theater. That's the only thing I can think of. Is, is I've why. heard reports that um, when people, you know, get the money from their movie pass, it goes into this debit card and it can be used like any old regular debit card. And people were actually using that not to buy the ticket, but to buy concessions and other such things. So oh, wow. I think that is sort of what some of the aspects going into this. Hmm. And that makes me wonder, like, will there ever be a MoviePass add-on where, like, you know, for $20 a month, I can also get, like, you know, a popcorn and soda f with my movie? I would like that. <laughs> yeah. that. That I would, like, they would keep me for another year at least. Yeah. I feel like AMC would be all about that if if, if they could make that work. But um, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, uh, 
I uh, oh, also I should say, you know, I, I made a statement on yesterday's podcast. I said that I thought Movie Pass was going to be a flash in the pan. I want to clarify that because a couple people emailed me. Uh, you know, obviously I know Movie Pass has been around for a few years now. They used to be a sponsor of SlashFilm.com, which is, should disclose uh, they no longer are. Haven't been for years. Um, you know, I was kind of talking about the new version of MoviePass, the 9.99 version of MoviePass. It seems like you know they're just throwing money into this, and eventually they're going to run out of money. Um, but uh, yeah, th- th- that's what I meant uh, when I th- said that I initially thought there were going to be a flash in the pan. Um, that you know, obviously we're getting the deal out of it, so why not go along with it? But uh, I eventually thought that. You know, this company was going to run out of money and then sell their user base to another company. But now I'm under the assumption that they are probably evil and are probably going to, you know, turn this into a business some way, probably at our expense. But good uh, thing they're not our advertisers anymore. Yes. Um, yeah. And that was that was, I think, like three, four years ago. Anyways, um, uh Actually, it wasn't even an advertisement. They had a banner. Just to disclose everything on this one, they had a banner on our site, and in exchange, we, uh, the writers for Slash Home, had free movie passes to allow us to see movies when we didn't get press screenings and stuff. So we actually never got paid by Movie Pass. We have never gotten a check from Movie Pass. Okay. So, anyways, uh, let's move on. Peter, this is this is a lot of weird stuff to say on the official Movie Pass Movie Pass <laughs> podcast. You know. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, Anyways, let's let's move on to Disney's Aladdin. Uh, we have now found out that they have hired some songwriters, uh, some good songwriters. Ben, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul are the Oscar-winning writers of uh, City of Stars. They won for La La Land uh, a couple years ago, and they were nominated at uh, this weekend's Academy Awards for their work on the Greatest Showman soundtrack. And on the red carpet of the Oscars, they were asked what their next project is going to be, and they revealed that they have collaborated with Alan Menken, and they have written two brand-new songs for Guy Ritchie's upcoming live-action remake of Disney's Aladdin. Uh, That's pretty cool news. Those guys... um, um, I mean, I haven't even seen The Greatest Showman, but just watching the performance at the Oscars of that, uh, I think it's called This Is Me, that song, uh, was really great. And I, I was convinced after, you know, I, I was really pulling for Remember Me from Coco to win that category. But after seeing that performance, I was like, oh, man, this song is like perfectly constructed to, you know, to win the Oscar. I'm, I'm going to be shocked if it doesn't take it down. Uh, and it ended up losing out to, to Coco. So I was surprised about that after seeing that performance because it was really uh, a pretty amazing song. And I know that everybody who's seen The Greatest Showman, even though people uh, readily admit that the movie is not the greatest, they always come away talking about how great the music is. And that seems to be uh, a big hallmark of Pasek and Paul's work. So the idea that they're um, teaming up to uh, you know, contribute to brand new songs is sort of interesting. Alan Menken is the legendary composer who worked on a ton of scores for a lot of classic Disney films, uh, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, the first Aladdin, and he's actually working on the score for the new m- movie as well. So yeah, it's, I mean, everything is sort of falling into place for the music for this new live action adaptation to be really, really good. Yeah, and, um, you know, I've seen The Greatest Showman. It's kind of a mess of a story in movie, but that soundtrack, boy, that that soundtrack is amazing. Uh, have Chris, HD, have either of you seen the movie? I have, and I came away with the same thing as you. The movie was a mess, but the soundtrack was good. The one thing I will say, though, is that that wasn't even the greatest song on the soundtrack. I feel like um, the, what, what was the star song? 
rewrite the stars. Rewrite the stars would have been a great nominee. And this is me was fine, but I did understand why they nominated it because it's a great anthem and seeing it performed live. I was like, okay, I understand now. And like Ben said, it's very fitting, uh, especially in this year's ceremony for the Academy Awards. I feel like it it kind of like, uh, you know, express some of the themes. Chris, did you see the movie? I have not. No, not yet. Wow. A movie Chris has not seen. I am shocked. Um, okay, let's move on to Avengers Infinity War. Last week, we uh, we reported that they moved up the date of Infinity War uh, one week uh, to April from May. And that has kind of sent Hollywood, uh, you know, in a little bit of a tizzy because, you know, the, the other release dates surrounding that all had to, uh, you know, change their plans because, you know, Disney's, uh, behemoth, uh, you know, warrants that HD, you wrote the latest. What do we know? So the first movie to sort of blink in the face of Infinity War's uh, release date bump is Dwayne Johnson's Rampage. It wasn't set to be released on the same day as Infinity War's new date, April 27th, but it was set to be released on April 20th, the week before. Um, And it was before Infinity War changed its date. It was going to enjoy a few weeks at the top of the box office before the latest Avengers was going to swoop in two weeks later. So now Rampage has bumped up a week as well to uh, April 13th, 2018. So that is, it'll give it another two weeks to be at the top of the box office uh, because there's not much competition on April 13th. There's a Shia LaBeouf, Stellan Skarsgård tennis drama called Borg versus McEnroy, um, a volleyball film called The Miracle Season, Anna Ferris's Overboard remake, and then an animated film called Sergeant Stubby. So, it's pretty much clear for Rampage as the one tent pole on April 13th. But I know it. I've seen on Twitter that it is disappointing people that is no longer on April 20th because people are very excited about that particular date <laughs> for Rampage. The interesting thing here is, you know, Disney was – you know, doing a calculated move by moving Avengers earlier in summer, making it so that Avengers can make more money. But at the end of the day, who does this hurt most? To me, it looks like it hurts Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Right? Because that now Rampage is closer to, to that film. Yeah, it's um, it was set to be released on March 30th, uh, and it was going to have a full three weeks as the only tentpole at the box office for a while. But now that's been cut down because Rampage has been moved up a week. Yeah. Um, anyways, so that does it for this edition of Slash Film Daily. HT, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Ben, where can people find you? Find me at SlashFilm.com as well, and you can find me on Twitter at BenPairs. Chris, where can I find you? I'm also on SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Of course. MoviePass knows where all of you are. <laughs> Slash Film Daily can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast. It's published every weekday. Uh, you can email me, Peter at SlashFilm.com, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, outrage. Uh, you can please go rate and review us on iTunes. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And we'll see you tomorrow.